Hi, welcome back to the CIO Show. I'm David Binning, Associate Editor of CIO. Now, there's been much talk lately about the so-called Web 3.0, sparking debate as to whether it is indeed the future of digital communications. Facebook's, or rather Meta's, Mark Zuckerberg certainly thinks so. Or rather, is it an overhyped concept driven by brands struggling to maintain relevance and indeed revenues amid growing competition? Zuckerberg would, of course, tell you it's not. But if we take a wider look at the various technologies analysts tell us define Web 3.0 or the metaverse, those terms seem to be interchangeable. There are actually many that CIOs and other tech leaders should probably be taking seriously. The Internet of Things, expanded IoT, yes, that's also a thing now. Virtual reality, augmented reality, and of course, digital twins, for example. Now, the ideas of decentralized control and individual ownership are firmly embedded in Web 3.0 as well, and that's hardly a bad thing. Uh, regardless of whether you think blockchain and things like NFTs have been overhyped, it's hard to argue they're not going to have some sort of role to play in the future. Joining me now, Jonathan Kempe, founder and CEO of Supply Chain Solutions Provider Ships. It's his second startup in this area, having previously founded and led Verify. Jonathan is also the host of the Let's Talk Supply Chain podcast and an ambassador to New South Wales Cybersecurity Innovation Node. Jonathan, welcome back to the CIO Show. It's a pleasure to be here and it's a pleasure to be on with Johnny. It's nice to meet you, Johnny. Yes, of course. And yeah, doing doing my job for me, also Johnny Serrano, who is Global CIO with Australian Mine Safety Solutions Company, Ground Probe, and of course, a CIO 50 alumnus. Johnny, welcome back to the CIO Show. Thanks, David. And you too, Jonathan. Great to meet you, mate. Now, as we've all discussed and are all aware, this thing, Web 3.0, is looming. It's apparently very, very important. Um, but there are a lot of different, defi- as, as, as is the case with a lot of big technology trends, there are a lot of different um, definitions and interpretations of, 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 what they, uh, of what they mean. And indeed, how seriously should technology leaders, CIOs, CTOs and the like be taking them? Uh, Jonathan, I just, if we could start with you, I'd just be interested in getting your, your perspective uh, as, as one of the, one of the more, more candid um, people we've had on the, on the CIO show, in, in, especially with respect to your um, pronouncements on blockchain. What, what is the Web 3.0 as far as you're concerned and, and, and what isn't it? Well, it's an interesting question, David, and a social commentator, I think, summed it up best. And he said, Web 3.0 is very hard to define. Mm. Uh, and that's true. I, it's obviously an evolution from Web 2.0, um, or that's the premise. And when that happens, just as a general comment on technology, people think we must be making progress. So Web 3 must be better than Web 2.0. And that can be a bit of a fallacy. Not all things that evolve, evolve positively. Um, but what generally people talk about with Web 3 is they talk about a decentralized web. So two broad elements to that. One is it's more distributed or spread out, as in a decentralized component allows individuals to make their own choices. And that second part to it is individual choice is more empowered, as in I have more control over my own things. Um, And they talk about this in terms of various technologies and blockchain started this narrative of self-sovereign identity is another offshoot of that. But those components, and they bundle in various other things, AR and VR, blockchain powered things and crypto payments and all of that, that generally comes under the umbrella of Web 3.0. So that's a broad definition. I don't know, it sounds vague. And I think that's honestly because as you drill down into the details, it is actually vague. People don't define it well and things get bundled in and that's when mistakes start to be made. 
Can I just add, guys, that I would agree what Jonathan is saying, and I think part of the issue here is that as new emerging technologies come out and things come out, we probably don't know where to put them really, and it's probably just easier to chuck them into that 3.0. You know, it's doing something different. It could be a mixture of, you know, the way it does things, and so it's just easier to put it into that web 3.0. Yeah, and of course, it's. I mean, like like with blockchain, it's it's it sounds like a it sounds like a great idea. But yeah, as we've seen, for instance, with the ASX uh, blockchain deployment, which I think has been in train now for more than six years, you know, we're struggling to see any any real deployment of it. And Johnny, one of the reasons, of course, why I um, invited you onto this episode of the CIO show is that you know, noting in, in several reports, um, one in particular, a, a recent or well, two-year-old report, report, I think it was, Deloitte trying, attempting to summarise uh, Web 3.0. It mentioned uh, virtual reality and, and augmented reality. And I thought, well, um, you know, given given what I know, Johnny, about your deployment of augmented reality with Grand Probe, uh, a global deployment, I thought it'd be interesting to get your, you know, your perspectives on, you know, what it was like to, stand up what was a fairly you know foreign and untested technology you know within your organization and of course getting um you know getting the getting you all the executive and the board on board supporting you in doing so i know that was a fairly large question of course but i'll i'll let you um chomp on it how you will <laughs> yeah yeah no thank thanks for the question mate i i think for us really uh like everyone else COVID, the covid factor has come in and COVID. Uh, obviously, you know, coming to everybody and our business in particular that relies on our engineers um, needing to go to multiple sites all around the world from places from the Amazon to the Arctic Circle and, and, and Africa as well. And being that being part of our core business, uh, not being able to do that anymore, it required us to shift. And I think from my point of view, from we had already been looking at VR and AR and really trying to work out what do we actually can what can we do with this like what can we actually create value and and also just take it away from sometimes the gimmicky side of these things are really cool and look what i can do but how do we actually put it into play and it's not really until covid came around that you know with our business model changing and, and not being able to to travel that we've come up and worked with the business saying well we do have a piece of technology here yeah. that we do know how to use it it might work and I think because of that and the executive team, uh, we, we had probably nothing to lose and we had to try it. And it sounded like a way really accelerated how quickly we could actually get it up and running and actually test it on the ground with our customers and get it running um, in multiple locations around the world. And, and, you know, we were quite successful at doing that. Yeah. And we were quite successful at actually seeing the benefits and the value uh, very quickly. And I have multiple examples of this from, you know, when someone in Bolivia, you know, within 30 minutes, we were able to uh, get back an operational from a loose cable um, and being able to see that and, and then actually being able to step uh, our people through getting that up and running our customers yeah. was really beneficial. Yeah. And, and of course, we've seen in the industry for the last several years when people have been talking about augmented reality, it's almost as though people speak about they they cluster AR and and VR together and John, Jonathan you and I were speaking um, recently about this and that there seems to be very re real um, applications for AI as Johnny has obviously just touched upon an absolutely critical 
real deployment of it. Yet VR, and maybe this sort of speaks to the kind of um, flakier side of, of Web 3.0, if I could put it that way, the metaverse and so forth, um, that things like virtual reality may be a little bit le uh, you know, less sort of viable or, or indeed something that CIOs and other technology leaders needn't concern themselves with so much, do you think? Yeah, well, I'm just think about it this way. Mm. And here's a you asked for a candid opinion. Mm. I would say that VR. I, sus I suspect it's forthcoming. It's forthcoming. Uh, maybe <laughs> you, you may have asked for it. I'm not sure. I'm inviting myself <laughs> to give you a candid opinion. I shall invite myself um, to be candid, indeed. Yeah. That's right. So <laughs> VR, let me make a definitive statement about this and I'll throw it to Johnny for further comment. I believe VR is yet to prove a consistently viable business case and AR has. Mm. Johnny, I'll pause there. Johnny, what do you think about that statement? Yeah, no, look, I, I would tend to agree with you. I, I do think that it has potential. Uh, we have managed to use it in places where we can scan an underground tunnel and then, uh, you know, be able to to show the tunnel with the model that is how it was meant to be built to see where it wasn't built properly using VR and walk through it. But again, probably a lot harder to commercialize or create the value out of. So yeah. I will say I do tend to agree with you on that, though. Yeah, so VR is, as it has been historically, it's been driven by entertainment, or at least that's been where most of the expression, technical expertise, creative energy has been deployed. And so when you think about these technologies, you think about you know a C-suite member who might be listening along, um, your first concern, and Johnny said it, amazingly well just before your first concern is the business case how does this unlock real value in my business mm. now that's not necessarily sexy and yeah you could put lots of arguments around how web3 has marketed that really well in terms of what's being delivered yeah. but augmented reality in my view has a clear set of business cases which can be transformational i've seen that myself with ar things that we've been playing with um but vr is yet to and that's why i use the word consistently in my earlier candid statement it's yet to consistently return value in terms of actual business deliverables things that are going to enhance my business over a period of time can it be used in, in the way johnny described absolutely could it be used in medicine absolutely there's lots of applications there is applications in entertainment obviously but when we come out we say web3 is a various bunch of things and the metaverse is something that is is absolutely going to be monetized and it's going to be underpinned by this whole crypto community all of that as it gets lumped together speaks primarily to a really vague and vacuous attempt to make something which historically has struggled to be profitable yeah. into something which will return real business value. And that's where I think people make great mistakes. They think we have to chase this because the metaverse has this promise, which is bundled into VR, which is going to happen yeah. when the consumer experience, the commercial experience is totally different. Yeah, sure. And I'll, I'll remind the audience that um, in an episode of the CIO show last year, Jonathan Kempe notoriously referred to blockchain as one of the greatest digitally facilitated, it's hard to say, digitally facilitated scams of all time. We will get back to that in a moment. Johnny, just coming back, throwing it back to you, having kind of pulled off that uh, AR project, did that, has that sort of emboldened you and your team perhaps to, you know, to embrace other sort of adventurous, more adventurous technologies that may or may not sort of fall under web 3.0 and what i'm sort of thinking about specifically is what opportunities you may sort of be realizing in terms of you know that that, that content um the digital content that you that you you and your customers are now you know recording through that ar system is there some sort of 
plan to to, to further digitize that that engagement with your customers and and, and and recording and using the data perhaps for research purposes or otherwise I hope that makes some sense yeah no <laughs> definitely mate I think for my answer is definitely yes I think the whole reason we were in the place that we were able to pivot and shift uh, during COVID was because we were already doing this. We had already started playing with this technology for over a year and understood its weaknesses. And and one of its weaknesses was really that usability. Uh, there, there are some things that just look really cool, but when you put them into a practical use, it just doesn't work yeah. and people don't want to use that. And so we were able to you know, get buy-in by actually having that usability. So it's something that we continue to do. But we'll continue to build on what we're doing, but I think there's also other technologies that we can bring into the fold and ensure that we keep on looking on how I actually don't think that some of these te- these technologies probably don't stand up by themselves, like what Jonathan is saying. Mm. I actually think that some of these technologies on their own won't create value, but if you add them to existing systems or or if they're a value add to something else, then you can create a much better uh, business case or value from them. Yeah. And so, Jonathan, digitally facilitated scam. This episode originally was going to be titled "Is Is Blockchain Bollocks?" It's of course been broadened to talk about Web three point But you know the, the the idea of this you know, sort of democratization of, of of data and data data ownership that's implicit in this term Web three point um, is 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 all very appealing. And as I've just as I touched upon earlier. Um, where, however, you know, yet to see any meaningful deployment of it. As of course, as we know, IBM massively downsized its uh, blockchain division last year, and and Microsoft canned the Azure blockchain division. Do you still are you still that as strident as you were last year on you in terms of mm. your um, your views on blockchain? Yeah, well, I mean, let me double down on that because the the thing I, I, I reached an anniversary recently where I put a calendar item in my own personal calendar from a debate I had with a gentleman on LinkedIn. And I said, check in with this guy about where crypto currently is versus where it's been and where blockchain is and where it hasn't been, um, hasn't gone. Uh, And sure enough, and I I would never call myself a futurist, uh, but when I looked back at my predictions a year previous, they had all come to pass. Uh He was adamantly saying blockchain is going to take over, corporates are adopting it. Um, hand over fist and that crypto has a predominant future to replace currencies and other various bits and pieces. I mean, th- these are claims that have been made, bold claims that have been made for years yeah. and we're yet to see material change on any of the bold claims. Mm. And uh, it's easy to get fixated on some of the, what might be distracting, but are becoming more regular headlines like crypto companies getting um, fined or sued or, uh, you know, Michael Saylor was just sued the other day Um and uh, and then you know, stake.com, I think it was, is facing an $800 million lawsuit and, you know, exchanges get hacked all the time. The, the, all of those things are interesting, but you can technically write them all off as being, oh, you know, this is the Wild West. It's just establishing, you know, the patterns for a longer-term growth and this is where it finds its feet. Yeah. It still hasn't found its feet since 2008. Yeah. So when it was first talked about and when blockchains were first talked about and then crypto evolved on top of that, you've got to admit, and people point to web, you know, 0.0 versus 1.0 and mm. you know it took a long time to evolve and find you it's completely different we're talking about a fully established interconnected world 
And even with all of that advantage, all of the desire for spending, all of the technical expertise, all the potential product placement, all of the advertising potential, all of that, they're still struggling to make any money. I think the stat I read the other day was that Meta, which is ex-Facebook, uh, their share prices dropped like 80% since they announced the transition towards being predominantly focused on the metaverse. Yeah. And you think, well, the market can't see after it goes through all the flashy demos, mm. they can't see how it practically transforms what they're doing. Yeah. And that's been exactly the case for blockchain over the last 12 months, 24 months, 14 yes. years. Sorry to and interrupt, guys. Jonathan, yeah, Jonathan, sorry. I'm just wondering, is that because you think that we we need to make an initial step first? It's a virtual world and, and we don't live virtually at the moment, right? Mm. We still live in this physical world and we haven't seen a jump into this virtual world as much as we we see it coming out everywhere. Um, and, and do you think that plays a factor into it or, or just long-term you don't think we'll end up in that virtual world? I actually think, I mean, the crippling weakness of the metaverse is that it relies on the idea that people prefer virtual interactions. Mm. Now, why is physical retail still a thing? Like, yes, COVID accelerated online shopping, you know, accelerated, compressed online, the online e-commerce experience by a factor of, I think it was 10 years in three months or something. Yeah. The stats are amazing how people pivoted to cloud-based and, and online shopping versus in-store. Yeah. But the reason for that was they couldn't logistically actually go out and touch and feel and, and buy things. But people still do that. Why is that? It's completely illogical. I mean, an online store technically has all the things that you need and probably at a lower price with better choice. But people still want that experience. Why is that? Because people are physical at the end of the day. And I, and I think what is the will be the crippling weakness of the metaverse and, and virtual worlds that we'd like to participate in. And keep in mind, we've been talking about this since The Sims, since Second Life, since a whole litany of virtual experiences people could indulge themselves with, mm. is people will eventually get back to reality, which is they're a physical breathing person and they want yeah. real relationships and they want to be connected with people in a meeting where they don't feel nauseous rolling their head around to try and make their VR headset work and the audio doesn't work. They actually want to be with people. Yeah. And that's exactly why books are still around, why TV is still a thing, why people still listen to the radio and why Dave's mum still has a rotary phone. Yeah. Um, the, the reason is people want to be connected to physical things and they <laughs> so, want to use them. I'm, so, I'm sorry, Mum, I know that's not true, but we're just you saying that for comical effect. So, Guys, <laughs> did, I mention, did I mention I actually bought a cassette player the other day? <laughs> Absolutely, Johnny. Retro, Johnny. We enable any organisation to use any technology. We help all companies become technology companies protecting the identity of both workforces and customers. Connecting the right people to the right technology at the right time. Okta, one trusted platform to secure every identity in your organization. Um, and look, Jonathan, the fact that you've been, that you're so deep in, you know, supply chain solutions, technology for supply chains, you know, should, should give anyone listening to this even further pause, particularly your comments about blockchain. And I'm sort of hark back to when the pandemic was just you know, really gathering steam in early 2020. Um, we had uh, a gentleman from KPNG on the CIO show talking about a massive blockchain project that they were working on with, um, with the federal government that was going to 
you know, oversee the, the rollout of, of, of the vaccine. It didn't come to pass. Um, there was also, there's also massive uh, projects that KPMG were involved in and other big companies um, were purported, purported to be involved in um, in the agricultural sector. You know, blockchain was going to solve the problem. Did we even have a problem with, with provenance and uh, product provenance and things like that? None of it's, um, none of it's come to fruition. I'm inviting you to be, you double down again, uh, Jonathan. I, I will <laughs> double down on that that commentary. <laughs> uh, the the premise of a number of those things, which is unfortunate, and you know maybe stepping away from KPMG because I think it was a an illness, not it was standing COVID. It was an illness that a few people caught. There was a bit of a contagion on Web three and blockchain and so on. Yeah. Um, those things came out of a predictable pattern of behaviour of selling other peripheral services with a different narrative that people bought them originally for. Mm. And so you found with a number of consulting firms that were selling consultants, in the case of IBM, they were selling their cloud-based services with a blockchain premise. Mm. But then as you drill down into the detail, people suddenly realize as, you know, they become a little bit more technically aware of what was going on. You didn't need that for this to function. Like here's a classic example, right? Inside the metaverse, as Meta would say, um, you know, this is the world that we're going to create. So they're ultimately in control of every pixel that occurs inside the meta metaverse experience. Yeah. If they're in, to that degree of control inside the world, as in they can make things virtually appear and virtually disappear, why do they need blockchain to make your bank account real? Like if, if they can virtually make your avatar die overnight or destroy all of your digital assets or all of those things, they're completely in control of that transaction base. And so people would say things that are a bit crazy, like, well, that allows me to control my assets inside. Like, how can you control assets inside someone else's world? Hmm. It's just amazing. And so the convergence of these ideas, which have a idealistic and sometimes social, socialist leaning base, and they're actually good ideals, as in we want to keep control of our things and we want to make sure that, you know, my identity stays with me and all of those things. They don't work as soon as you go digital because you have to participate in an ecosystem. Mm. And as soon as you do that, you start losing control of the very thing that you want to control. Yeah. And so when we look at, at that from the consulting point of view, um, what they were selling was inaccurate to start with. It was based on a flawed premise mm. and those projects, and it's burned an inordinate amount of public money yeah. and uh, government money and related money and commercial money haven't bought many, if any, results in most of the things that they've uh, they've tried to design. And, and here's an inflammatory statement because you've asked me for multiple inflammatory statements. <laughs> um, the fact that your local public school doesn't have air conditioning could be because a number of these companies decided it was worth the government pursuing a blockchain-based project instead of delivering something tangible for communities that they were supposed to support. All right, now that is inflammatory. You know, Johnny, what do you? What wow, are you, yeah, Johnny, yeah, what are your okay. thoughts on I, that? I, I grew up in North Queensland. We didn't have aircon, so you can, I, I'm definitely mm. feeling that one. Yeah. <laughs> but think about it, and and not to point direct things at anyone, but if you just think about how we divert certain types of spending to things that we think are tangible and valuable, mm. but actually return no value, you've yeah. literally taken out of one pocket, which yeah. required it, you know, yeah. something that's absolutely necessary, public yeah. roads, infrastructure, spending, hospitals, whatever, and you've placed it somewhere else in something that has materially not moved the dial. Yeah. Um, I think in many instances, and I'm sorry to say this, but in many instances, that's been done overtly and and sometimes fraudulently when the deliverables which haven't had technical oversight and haven't they haven't been held to account for them yeah. haven't come to pass and it's yeah. unfortunate but that's that's the reality of the last 24 months yeah and johnny, johnny i'm thinking if if 
in in the future you ever come under an in some sort of inordinate pressure to to bring blockchain or explore blockchain for for grant probe, grant probe you could of course just bring Jonathan along to any meeting and and would dispel any um, <laughs> you would sort of keep, cut it short cut it short right yeah I'm, Johnny, actually, what, I'm what, writing notes at the moment thanks you David. Are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Johnny what what are your what are your thoughts on 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 that absolute debunking of um of blockchain look for me i look i've definitely we've looked into it especially from a logistical logistical point of view and seeing how we can maybe start to store some of these things uh but uh, for me i think it's it's definitely not there yet you know one, one of the biggest killers i think is trying to get us all to probably agree on one or, or share our information in the one area which just I don't think is happening or may not happen yeah. um, in order for it to be, you know, decentralized and, and accessible to all. And I think primarily a lot of businesses, uh, that's not part of the business model to share all the information and have it publicly out there. Yeah. And in order to achieve some of these things that we want to do, for instance, with supply chain and logistics, then we all have to agree to the one system, one top of data and, and make it all publicly available, which is just not there creating these pockets of their own just doesn't seem to be working i don't think work and, and there's no value out of that yeah yeah okay um just continuing with this web 3.0 bingo um we iot is is been sort of thrown into into that mix I and mean, we did, perhaps don't need to spend too much time on that but i was i was wanting to actually focus more on um on the concept of digital twins which does appear to it doesn't seem to appear in a lot of lists about what Web 3.0 is supposed to be. Um, Johnny, is 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 that something that's that's maybe you're you're looking at from a Web 3.0 point of view at at Grand Probe developing digital twins, perhaps of mind sites? Because this is kind of like the enterprise metaverse, I suppose. Is it is it not? Yeah, definitely. I think so. I think it, this this one probably you can do alone. Essentially, from from a business, you can create your own digital twins based on any product or any location, and and I think this is about digitizing your, your actual environment yourself, and it doesn't have to be exposed, doesn't even have to be decentralized, and I think the the key here is how do you then share it and how do you work collaborate with others, and and I think that's probably where we're not at in the industry or as a whole, we're not there yet because we probably have a lot of different um, companies who have gone down the digital twins area mm. and can create it for their products. But, you know, as we all know, we all work in a, in a location, whether it be your house or your office, where there's multiple technologies, multiple brands, multiple things mm. that have to work together. And uh, I think uh, with competitive landscapes and, and different types of, uh, companies, uh, we don't bring it all together. One, even for as a digital twins, to really get the value out of it, it's very holistic. So yeah, definitely we 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 are in the digital twins and looking at that so that we can improve things. And mm. I believe we'll continue to grow digitizing environments. It's happening everywhere, uh, but I think that's different to the blockchain and, and you know how how we achieve value out of that. Mm. And Jono, Jonathan, what do you think about digital twins in the supply chain environment? I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 a, I'm a bit worried about what you're going to say, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this guy comes on. He's a giant negative Nancy. He, uh, so he can't he's agree just so on negative, anything. man. 
Mm. It's so negative. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I speak emphatically about certain things. One, because I'm passionate about doing things well mm. uh, and being innov- truly innovative, but also because there's an unfortunate amount of money being made or wasted on things which are absolutely rubbish. Digital twins actually have a really um, clear role inside yeah. an organisation. And if you've ever worked with anyone inside the industry, uh, the building industry, you'll note that they use in their BIMs, their building information management systems, they're starting to integrate digital twins. And what you find with that is you can simulate things far quicker than you would physically, as in how does aircon flow around a building? Well, yeah. you could build aircon, which costs a god awful amount of money, or you could simulate it and that, you know, the laminar flow of air moves through a system. You can run a whole bunch of scenarios that you physically wouldn't be able to do for low cost and even get an accurate result if you did it physically. So there's actually a real place for a digital twin. And and for us in supply chains, it's absolutely true. Um, The question becomes with any deployment like that is, is the digital twin giving you additional value on top of what you would originally do with its physical equivalent. And if anyone's gone into home automation, they would know it's amazing to have my phone that I could turn my lights all on and off from my phone. Mm. Um, But if that's intermittently working, and I'll introduce another variable here that people don't often talk about, if someone could potentially turn my lights on and off because my neighbor decides to play, play a prank on me, or as we just saw over in Russia, all of the taxi, the taxi ranks get attacked by some external nefarious folk and uh, all of the taxis end up in one location all at the same time. My variable is security. If your system isn't secure and your digital twin isn't giving you that additional value that you could just do physically, then at some point you realize that deploying it is going to cost you too much, too much to manage, too much to continuously secure. And secondly, you probably just felt more comfortable walking across the room and turning the dimmer down and that physical action which in some industries is the best action, can sometimes also be the most efficient and the most secure. So you have to balance up a bunch of these different variables before you go down the route of digital twins. But I'd say in terms of how you could deploy them with IoT sensors and seals and other bits and pieces that give you feedback from the the physical environment, that's one of the more promising and I believe real ways that you can digitize your processes. Yeah, yeah, sure. So just finally, um, a conversation of Web 3.0 wouldn't be complete without discussing the good old non-fungible tokens. Jonathan, what is really the, the, the point of these NFTs other than just some sort of unit, unit of hysteria in the entertainment industry? Yeah, well, I mean, talk to anyone who... That's me. I've been talking I, to you too much, actually. Uh, yeah. Talk to anyone who <laughs> has either been bored or been an ape and you'll realise why NFTs have um, had a, a short hysterical and um, very uh, disruptive lifespan over the last 12, 24 months. Um, They were originally um, deployed as an idea which seemed novel because of personalised ownership that apparently couldn't be taken away from you. And as soon as you scratch below the surface, as many people who have lost bored apes or their equivalents can can testify to, um, people can take that away from you. And even the companies who centrally manage them but then publicly say they're decentrally decentralized in their management security, um, they can take them away as well. And so what we've realized is there's a bait and switch with NFTs that's applied pretty broadly to both crypto blockchain-based projects and a lot of web 3.0 um, narrative. And that's where things have really started to fall apart. And so we, I've heard some really interesting from some very high profile people saying that NFTs have gone through their you know, initial phases of discovery and now they're really starting to land. They still don't have a firm value prop. 
They still don't. And so I don't believe they have a future. And in fact, if you've got an NFT now and you're holding on to it thinking for some reason there's going to be some digital zoo at some point that will be worth a huge amount of money, um, sell your JPEGs now while you still have the chance. Jonathan, sorry, just interrupt there. Do you think that's because, like you said, that the NFTs have had a value that's just been automatic plucked out of the sky and a value set on them rather than actually creating an actual value itself? For instance, you know, like collectors and... And, you know, I remember my old Michael Jordan basketball card um, mm. that I wish I kept. Um, and, you know, now have, having this in, in NFTs and not really existing, but having a value set on it, that's really caused this whole, you know, hype with NFTs and that they don't really actually cause a value long term is why you're saying that you don't see a future for them. John, yeah, Johnny, just, just quickly, Johnny, have you been buying Michael Jordan NFTs? And does your wife know about this? I can't afford them, mate. I can't afford them. <laughs> sorry, Jonathan. Sorry, Jonathan. <laughs> That's a great question. And Jonathan, I've had to buy the Andrew Gaze ones, mate. Don't Andrew worry. Had a bit cheaper. Sorry, what Jonathan. A great, great player in his day. Uh, Johnny, great question. Insightful questions, Johnny. I thank you for that. Um, the, the, I think the problem is, is that NFTs bundled scarcity with security. They said these things are rare. And don't get me wrong, art is rare. Your Jordans are, are rare. There's probably only, well, there's only one of them that you have, but there's only a few of them available and there's only one in the condition that you've got, which makes it even rarer still in one funny sense. Um, but they've bundled scarcity, which is not the case with digital assets. You can actually replicate them by taking screenshots of someone else's board ape. Um, but they bundled that with security. They said that this is a unique asset. And what it turned out was it, it wasn't unique. They couldn't actually establish ownership. We don't know who's holding the NFT because they don't, biometrically or otherwise identify the person who's holding it. Um, security and scarcity, which are great things to try and bundle together, they just can't deliver on those two things. And so I, I think the art component has a value, which yes, is arbitrary. And some of the artworks are actually quite delightful. Mm. Um, but art is only as valuable as the next guy who buys it. Yeah. And so when that when Beeple, you know, forked out with 69 million, it's not worth $69 million. Mm. It's worth whatever the next guy pays for it. And it turns out that guy probably couldn't sell that for 15 bucks today. I mean, someone would buy it for a couple of hundred thousand worth of ETH or something because they're, they're crazy. But in reality, it's it's only ever worth what someone else would pay. And so NFTs, as they stand as of today, are depreciating assets. And I would say offload them. Yeah, yeah. And, and with, well, with regard to people, I mean, I, just, I suppose it depends on your money laundering priorities just to be a bit cheeky um jennifer fascinating conversation um of course nowhere near resolving all of these um questions that will need to be resolved for sensible people in technology over the over the coming years but it does sound as though there are some very real um applications some very important web 3.0 technologies that cios and other tech leaders need to uh take heed of uh we look forward to having you both back on the cio show very soon thank you david thank you jonathan Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to meet you, Johnny. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it. Now, I'm a little sad to say this is the final episode of the CIO Show in its current form for now. It's been an amazing two and a half years building the program up from scratch and bringing you conversations with the top leaders and best minds in technology in Australia, discussing the key issues and trends of the day. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening and for helping us reach more than 22,000 downloads. Now for now, myself, CIO Editor-in-Chief Byron Connolly and the rest of the CIO team, we're focusing on the 2022 CIO 50 
which promises to be amongst the best yet. Look out for those results coming in November. Meanwhile, we're mulling some new digital offerings for 2023, so watch this space. Thanks again, and over and out for now.